everybody and welcome to Mostly Film, your one-stop chaotic shop for all things in the world of cinema. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan McCorder, joined by my beautiful co-host, JP Payton. Yo! Abby is sitting down there like, what the frack? I had to give a yop. JP just yopped me in the house. Actually, I don't like that. Don't yop my wife in the house. Hey, this is a real serious question. We got into a discussion last night in front of Abby's family about this, so this is safe for the pod, but okay. a little risky. Okay. okay. Would you allow Caitlin to start an OnlyFans? No. Would you allow Caitlin to start an OnlyFans with no identifying body features? Like no. a feet OnlyFans? No. Because people be tracking those. Nope. Okay. So explain to me why, how they track that. I don't know, but people are, are very smart out there. I don't trust it. I don't trust the internet. What about Foot Finder? Don't trust it. Hmm. I'm thinking about it. Okay. And me, Dawson was thinking about it. Well, y'all have fun with that. Me and Dawson. Yeah. <laughs> you know, apparently, you can be collaborators. Yeah, like you, this interval, inter, inter wine our hairy toes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we were gonna we were gonna have you come in. Mm-hmm. Caitlin yeah. likes to say I have really pretty feet. So, see, you'd be great at then. Put your yeah. feet in some beans. I'm not gonna do that. I hate beans. Well, that's the whole thing. Apparently, there's this guy I work with. He says that uh, there's a whole like food foot dipping channel, like huge kink. I just for people dipping their feet in different foods. I'm so uninterested <laughs> in the conversations <laughs> that happened at your dealership. Right. I'm not gonna say it on the pod, but I'm glad that, that you had that conversation. So he was shook, d- disgust. I mean, full on, just like questioning what is right in, in the, the world. world. Yeah. See, I knew that, and. That's, I'm glad that there are more people like that out there um, and less people like that. Other well, guy. I'm glad you could have the conversation with your in-laws. Listen, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm here to say it right now. If Abby wanted to, but she just wanted to sell pictures of her feet. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you didn't say, hey, I'm Abby yeah, I, look at my feet, you know, and had a cute little cutesy little username. Yeah. And I had access to it, too, to make sure, you know, there were no dudes like sending unsolicited wiener pics or something like that. You know they're gonna though. Well, that's no, the whole apparently, point. I did some looking into it. Apparently, you can do all sorts of settings. So, <laughs> find a way to make it as safe as possible, like for like Abby's sake. Yeah. And then, if she just posted feet pictures with no identifying, you couldn't figure out who she was, what she was, po- you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was no nudity, like no boobies, vagina, but the way I face. see it, it's like drug dealing. Okay, I would sell drugs. <laughs> it and got a drug. So in every Sunday at church, we're peddling. Yeah, I question so that. Selling too pictures of feet is the same thing as preaching the gospel. <laughs> is that I heresy? I don't, I'm, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it right there, over there. <laughs> I ain't going to touch it. Uh, anyway, what have you been up to, man, in the last 10 minutes? Uh, not thinking about all this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay. Um, we watched some good movies this week, and honestly, it was refreshing. Yeah, I like both of these are harkening back to the films of yesteryear, and they have like a kind of like a sweet little innocence. Holy about cow! Them. Yeah, and I just and we'll talk about it more after we finish everything too. But I really miss Robin Williams. Yeah i I didn't realize how old Dead Poet Society was. Um. It has been a pop culture, just like stable for years. Um, but I mean, 89, that's, gosh, it feels like an eternity. It really does. Um, and then, you know, Plane Trains and Automobiles is 
I mean, that was early 80s. Even older, yeah. Uh, 1987. So not, not, Two years no, before. Later, yeah. Um, but the setting and, and all that stuff, like it, it feels older. It really um, does. You're, it does. So, yeah, I think we just, ha- first of all, happy Thanksgiving. You're listening it to this on Thursday. It is Thanksgiving, yo. Um, the whole reason we're doing these movies is because Plane, Trains, and Automobile is one of the few Thanksgiving classics um, up there with... There's, yeah, there's like none. I mean, you got Tower Heist. Um, That's not a classic, though. It happens during Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, mm. they, they rob a tower while the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is going on. It's oh. it's a Thanksgiving movie. I can't yeah. think of anything else. Um, but uh, yeah, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is is absolute classic. Um, Caitlin's dad actually was the one who introduced this to us. Um, so you've seen this before? Yeah. Oh yeah. We we've watched this. We'll watch uh, this, this every is my year. second time ever seeing it. Okay. Um. I mean, what was your first first experience like? Did I was you? High. Yeah. Um, I think it was like 2008, nine. So I was a junior, something like that. We watched this and, uh, not Christmas vacation, just like national lampoons vacation, whatever. Yeah. Um, back to back. And I remember thinking both of them were good, but not like just, you know, extremely funny. So I hadn't seen it since then. Um, this movie was really funny. Actually, it had some really funny moments. Like I laughed out loud. There weren't a lot of laugh out loud because I mean, we're pretty desensitized to humor and stuff. But you know when they get trapped in the hotel, we'll, we'll recap a little bit. But you know when they get, when they're tra- you know they're at the first hotel stop together, and they realize they're gonna have to share a bed, and they're like kind of like oof, yeah. okay. And he's like, uh, "You want to take a shower?" And he's like, "No, like, <laughs> not together." <laughs> yeah. like, oh, right, right. I got so tickled. I, like, so I want to just state this movie. I feel like gets lumped into Christmas Vacation like that style of movie and i want to refute that to the highest degree plane well, plane trains planes trains and automobiles is on a whole other plane of emotional intelligence yes and not but not slapstick hijinks well, the slapstick hijinks is, is the era that's what i say it's norm for the that, time that's what I'm yes saying. so in that way it's very i understand why people compare them yes, nowadays but the subtle nuances of like this the character development in yeah, this movie oh, way way advanced is it's perfect this movie is more due date than it is sure yeah uh christmas vacation yeah to the point that i was sitting here like i had to pause it <laughs> And I was like, this is, Due Date is a 100% remake of yeah. Planes, Trains, Automobiles minus the Thanksgiving. It really is. It's the same damn film. Robert Downey Jr. is the crotchety businessman trying to get home to his wife who's having a baby. Yeah. And then Zach Galifianakis is the lovable buffoon who causes 500 hiccups on the way to get there. Then they end up becoming best friends. Yeah. And he turns out he has a tragic story. Like literally Due Date is a tape. Here's my home. You can copy my homework, but change it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and now maybe we want to watch Due Date because Due Date's also fantastic. Um, so, yeah, Plenty of Trains and Automobiles is, you know, here's just a brief little synopsis, my own, not letterbox. It's like two two sentences long. Actually, it's one sentence with a comma. Uh, you know, Steve, Steve Martin's character is like this uh, corporate shill, but successful, um, trying to get back home for Thanksgiving. Uh, what flying from, where's he going from New York to? Chicago? Yes. Okay. Um, 
you know, can't get a cab. It's too busy, which you get a great Kevin Bacon cameo yeah. uh, racing to a cab. I forgot. Didn't remember that in there. That was funny. I just kept thinking he was going to have a bigger part of the film, but he didn't. No. Uh, you know, so it's just like series of unfortunate events. Can't get the cab. It's already late from the meeting to get the cab. Uh, when he's going to get the cab, he trips over this giant freaking suitcase, uh, falls down, goes to get a cab. Finally, he loses the first one, pays a guy, this lawyer, to get the second one. Then John Candy shows up, and the briefcase he tripped over is, belongs to him, and he gets his stack cab. Yep. Um, so he hates his suit out the gate. Finally, he gets to the airport, sits right across from him in the waiting area. Um, they make the connection, have a brief small talk, move on. They get on the plane together. His first class, Steve Martin's first class ticket is denied. So he gets stuck sitting next to John Candy and another old man. So he's now listening to John Candy, who is like, you know, no boundaries, nothing, just talking his head off. The other dude's asleep on his shoulder. Uh, what happens to the plane? It lands normal, right? No, 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 no. no. Because of the snowstorm in Chicago, they it, had to go land in Kansas City. Yes. Um, so they're way off track. He calls his wife, explains it. Um, there's nowhere for him to go. So John Candy says he can get him a hotel. So, um, he gets him a hotel when they get there together, turn to find out that it's a one bed and you know, they're going to have to share it and they kind of get mad at each other that night. Things boil over cause you know, John Candy spills beer all over the seat Martin side of the bed and he just goes on this big, you know, it's your first like heartfelt moment where you feel bad for John Candy because yeah. Martin just rips into him, telling him what a annoying piece of crap he is. Um, then he gets back in bed, like nothing happened, right? Like a real married couple would. Uh, then they go take a train, right? No, they get the ride to the train. Yes, from his cousin's boy or whatever, which was which was a great little little thing. Train breaks down. Though mm-hmm. they say their goodbyes, and the train breaks down, then they have to get reunited. And he, Steve Martin, feels bad and helps him carry his big brief or luggage department or compartment. So uh, they get off the train, then they go board a bus. They get on the bus. He sits next to each other. Everybody likes John Candy's character, but hates Steve Martin's character. Uh, you know the what happens after the bus? Something. What goes wrong with the bus? Bus breaks down. No train breaks down. No bus takes them only to St. Louis, not all the way. So they get stuck okay. in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. And then that's when they, uh, from St. Louis, train broke down. They rent a car mm-hmm. and his rent a car messes up. And he ends up uh, getting into a fight at the rent a car place and gets knocked out by that guy who's trying to get a car from him and John Candy. Yeah. They, they had thought that they were going to say goodbyes and go separate ways. And, and then he, he almost realizes, runs over him yeah. and hitches a ride with him basically to the rest of the way back. Uh, car catches on fire because he falls asleep and ends up going the wrong way and he throws a cigarette in the back so now they have no car they have to hitch a ride back on a semi he finally makes it home uh, to the train station which next stop is his home uh, realizes picks up a lot of Steve Martin realizes along the way that John Candy has been dropping breadcrumbs about you know his wife and he can't go home hasn't been home blah 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 because she's dead um, so after he's left him for good he Hops the train right back, picks him up, takes him to his family Thanksgiving. He goes home. They're reunited, and yay, happy ending for everybody. That's the very, 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 very abbreviated version of this film. Fair? Yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, there's there's a lot that happens in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just like if yeah. I'm saying that's an overarching Spark Notes theme, like your key points of travel, and yeah. uh, can you know just so John Hughes, I think goes. 
we should say John Hughes um, directed. directed this. Um, he has directed some of the classics. Yeah, of- I mean, literally Breakfast Club, Bueller's Day Off, Sixteen Candles. Weird Science, mm-hmm. Uncle Buck, which is a great freaking John Candy movie. Yep. I arguably like it better than I like this one. Um, then he wrote, like I associated John Hughes more with Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and Christmas Vacation. Um, Flubber. Flubber's freaking <laughs> great, bro. I love Flubber. I'm I'm a Flubber fanatic. I'm a Robin Williams guy. Yeah. Uh, the point is, this, this man, I mean, was very influential to the 80s, early 90s. Um, and I mean, this is, this is almost a perfect movie for me. Yeah. So what keeps it, I saw you were at four and a half. I'm at four. What keeps it from being perfect for you? Uh, it's probably just dated. Um, the ending, although it's super sentimental and all that, the, the, the real, uh, realization that, um, that, Neil has basically about John Candy. John Candy's character, uh, Dale, is just a happy-go-lucky shower curtain, yeah, salesman, shower curtain salesman. Uh, not even shower curtain, shower curtain ring ring salesman. Yes, um, and you know he's just he's just lovable idiot, and um, Neil confronts him on this, and Dale will come back at him and like well at least my wife like my wife still loves me like mm-hmm. she wouldn't say these types of things about me he's um, comfortable with himself along, yeah. along the way of this of their travels and stuff he hints at well yeah i haven't been at home and i haven't been home in years and uh you know just basically insinuating that's that he is not being completely honest about his relationship with his wife when neil finally confronts him about it and he's like we get the big reveal that his wife has been dead for eight years and he yep. basically does not go home he lives on the road basically i wouldn't say that he is homeless but this big suitcase that he brings around with him and and everything like that that is his life yep um which makes you know makes all of his antics and stuff that much more sad well and and heartfelt because they're they are a, a way for him to connect with people and and he's trying to fill a void yes he he's trying to keep a roof over his head mainly but yeah. yes he is trying to to fill a void um but i personally i loved how neil kind of has this realization it's just it's just kind of cheesy how it happens i feel like it is because it's a flat it's like a flashback montage of all these different things that had happened and but it probably wasn't cheesy it probably wasn't cheesy back then. Well, because I think of even like the Family Man and stuff like that, which I can't wait to watch over the next few weeks. Freaking a, yeah. I'm curating our Christmas list. Okay. Um. Anyway, I think that that was just the time for the norm, like norm yeah. for the time. I I think I didn't have an issue with that. I don't love them, but I, I don't I didn't have an issue with that immediately because I think of all the other Christmas and like films that came out in this time that was super normal and probably was the best res- rate to resonate with people. Yeah. Um, I mean, even watching this, because I hadn't seen it since that, I forgot his wife had died. Mm-hmm. I thought he was lying about it, and I thought that was like a stock stock put of Hillary you, Clinton the first time he put it up there. So a normal a normal viewer who has no uh, no experience with this movie before probably thinks he's divorced and he's been yeah. lying about this. Uh, yeah, in denial. Yeah, he's in denial. Yeah, she left him because he's annoying yeah. as hell. Yes, that's yeah, that's actually what I thought at first. Or it was never he was 
never married to, to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was like some sort of like he's a stalker kind of guy. You yeah. Know? But or his wife was going to be. I had the brief, brief, brief moment watching this the second time. I was like, who is this wife? Oh, doesn't he have a thing for his wife? And that's it. Wasn't coincidence. <laughs> it's like red eye. <laughs> that's a nice little pot twist there. Yeah. But um, no, I I, I think for a whole plane trade, I'm build really, really holds up. I gave it four stars. Um, it is, has nothing to do with the aging of it. That I I just think that it's. No. I, I think the humor doesn't hit with me. Yeah. All the way through, I enjoy the. Uh, I th- I think the plot's fine. I think. Because look in hindsight, yeah, I could say, oh, it's been treaded since, but this this tread the way. I mean, this there may have been other movies like this for sure, but yeah. it was definitely one of the fir- yeah. earlier pioneers of it. Uh, so I can respect that. And the humor, when the humor hits, it hits, even yes. you know, now. Uh, however, it's, it's weird to say this. I say this every time, like the exact words. It's weird to say this about a 93-minute film, but at times it feels like it dragged out a little too much. Well, um, I, I, f- I felt like there were too many checkpoints along the, the way I, yeah. I thought the bus point was the worst the weakest of the bunch yes um that you could have had any of the in-between scenes fill in you could have redone that to where as they're getting on the bus he's like oh yeah this isn't going to take us all the way there instead of spending the 10 minutes that we do on the bus singing the flintstones yes yeah 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 but again i think that is used to show growth in the relationship that neil and Dell have had because although they're not best buds, they are tolerating one another. Yeah. Um, I, my experience with this, this watch through, I really, um, I, re- I just, I really appreciate Steve Martin in this. He sounds so much like Harrison Ford in this movie. He, every time he talks, like, what is that voice? Yeah. I had to pause it Tone, and think about like it. Tone, the, yes. Yeah. Mannerisms. Even I was like, man, Harrison Ford in this movie would have been wild. <laughs> Yes, he but was, it wouldn't have been the same. No, because he was in Star it would have Wars. Felt, it would have here. felt more more real. Um, yeah. I would have believed the the tension and yeah. frustration because that's the thing is, I don't, I, I don't believe Steve Martin as Neil. It, he's funny, yeah, and he's it, it's enjoyable to see him get frustrated, like his F bomb tirade, like from that that that's great. It, it was great, but like saying unbelievable though. Yeah, I would have enjoyed that scene a lot more with someone like Harrison Ford. Well, I, 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 I think the opposite because it is so Steve Martin. It so is jarring. so opposite. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's effective to me. Um, but I just I, hated like every time he was frustrated, like he did this like squint with his eyes. That's and I was Steve like, Martin, though. Yeah, I get it. I just didn't like it. Yeah, I don't know. I the the weird toddler like outbursts that he has, like it's almost full body reactions. Um, at at certain points, mm-hmm. or like the f bomb tirade, or yeah, the I, you know John I just, Candy blow up, or yeah, I just think back to the jerk. Um, mm-hmm. th- uh, the 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 shoot the <sighs> one with him and Chevy Chase and us. Um, three amigos, yeah, three amigos. Um, you know that knowing that that person is playing this type of character is just. Yeah really ironic um and i enjoy it um what yeah you and you you kind of made the point though of like this movie like it's it's been done a lot more now mm-hmm. um but i would say that this movie kind of set the standard and not many like they like one movie might do 
the cross country road trip yeah. a little bit better, or one might do a plane sequence a little bit better, but nobody the consistency of it all. No, I agree with that. And like I was, you know, I was thinking of due date as one, but if I could have a modern one that's already paired together, a shrinking season where Harrison Ford and Jason Siegel have to go across <laughs> the country together, that would be a great, yeah. great one too. Uh, what do you think of John Candy? Because we, I, I'm not over. I mean, when I looked and looked at his filmography, you know, it's you know sad that he died because the movies that I have seen him in, I really liked, like Spaceballs. I love Spaceballs. I love the Blues Brothers. Um, cool Runnings is great. Yeah, uh, Uncle Buck is one of my probably my favorite comedy of his. Uh, his little cameo in Home Alone, uh, Polka 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 King. You know. Yeah. Um. I I will be honest. I have not seen a ton of John Candy uh, films. Um. Honestly, his whole era is one that I have not. I don't. I don't spend a ton of time with. Um. I want to get better about watching a lot of movies. Uh, back then, but. I mean, I know Blues Brothers just because it's like one of my dad's more um, frequent frequented movies. But a lot of his stuff, he 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 is kind of typecast. Oh uh, yeah, that he, type of character. Him and Farley were like the same kind of person. Well, he plays a very similar character in Home Alone. You know, mm-hmm. like that's it. Literally, could be. It's funny. I actually saw he, somebody tweet about it. It's like a. His movies are an anthology of yes. his person that never really moves on. Exactly. Uh, so it's gonna it'd be funnier to watch his films in that context. Yeah, Uncle Buck is one that I have not watched. Uncle that Buck's I, really good. I really want to watch um, because I feel like that is a more exaggerated version of who John Candy is, mm-hmm. um, whereas everything else feels super believable for who he is as a human being. He. John Candy reminds me oh, of... Oh, The Great Outdoors is good, too. <laughs> yeah, he voice... Who does who he voice act for that one? No, it's not a voice act. It's... Oh, I'm thinking Rescues Down Under. Yeah, jo- it's John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's... uh, He reminds me of uh, Farley. Um, and mm-hmm. just knowing... You know, what could have been, like, with an extra 10 to 15 years uh, of of acting from I him. think he would have had a Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of I mean Philip Seymour Hoffman was taken way too early though too no no I'm saying I could see I could see John Candy because not just in this film but this films where he has more serious moments mm-hmm. being being able to do what Philip Seymour Hoffman did Hoffman could cross that line of comedy but also Oscar winning performance I could have seen Candy having that sort of projection um yeah because I think towards the end of his career, looking at his filmography a little bit, some of the stuff I've seen, I think he was trying to move into that. Yeah, I mean, his one of his later movies that he had, um, he was in JFK, which is, um, you know, a critically acclaimed movie. Um, I don't know the I don't know the scope of the role. It's been been a minute, but um, but yeah. Looking at it though, I think. I was trying to see if there was any surprises in the cast, but there wasn't any for playing streams and automobiles. But no, yeah, I, I really was just, this is just such a heartwarming film and it's a great holiday film. It's a good primer for holiday season. I agree. It's a great kickstart for it all. And it really makes me appreciate the, the this type of movie makes me appreciate older films. I know if Dawson's, he's cringing me saying a 1987 movies, an older film, <laughs> uh, 
But it I mean, really it's is. Over 50 and years it, ago. Because there's just like an innocence and a, like we take films for granted so much. Like this is just such a simple, straightforward film that still has laugh out loud moments. Yeah. With a plot that even though you've seen it a thousand times is still engaging. Um, you know, the pacing for being an 87 film. I mean, this, I'm not dissing the era because there are great other films like that better than this, yeah. obviously. But I thought the pacing was well, well, well done. Like some parts did overstay their welcome as a whole. I thought the pacing was really well done. I thought the cinematography was fine. Um, the script was funny. The jokes had pretty good punches to them. I thought both Steve Martin and John Candy's acting was both pretty good. I didn't love their, didn't love everything about both of their performances, but a whole, I thought they did really well and they had really good chemistry together, um, yeah. which is all you can ask for in a buddy comedy. So uh, as a whole, Plane Change Automobile was a four star for me. Um, I would have, I would like to see, I mean, it's impossible, but I would like to see if John Candy's still alive, it'd be fun to have a new iteration, like a reunion. But obviously yeah. you can't do that now. I, I I like to think about like if this was updated, um, because I mean the issues with the movie, not issues, but like the the um the trials that they run into, mm-hmm. like are still very applicable to twenty twenty three. You know, it's just weather, um, and logistics of traveling. No, Lord, Lord knows, traveling is yeah. is no easier the today. The traveling stuff definitely is a fact. Except now it would be a, a Uber instead of a taxi. And yeah, it would be a Airbnb instead of a hotel, and you know, blah blah blah. It'd and be so, barbarian, you know. And so looking back, yeah, and so looking back at like what I would like to see possibly more of is how is, how is Neil's uh, wife and kids really taking uh, this? Uh, Because that, you know, we all knew he was trying to get home, but there was, I don't know. There wasn't much. She seemed to think that I got the vibe that she thought he was cheating on her. Barely. Yeah. It was almost like whenever he shows up with Dell that she's like relieved, like, Oh, he he is. But it was also a big man. She's like, Mr. Griffey. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did you not get that? Yes. And I it did. was like almost like or Griffith. Mr. Griffith. Yeah. And, and too, like if this is earlier, then he has a cell phone and he's able to check in with her more regularly and, you know, step away, have conversations with her, explaining what Dell is actually like whenever she knows nothing about him, really. Yeah, and like he does try to call a couple times in a couple other cities, but he can't because the yeah. payphone wouldn't go through. They didn't answer it, so um, and no caller ID back then. So yeah. you know, it makes it a little more stressful for the journey for him too. Um, but no, I, I really thought it was fun. I had a great time. There was some fun practical effects, especially in like the burning car, like the when they switched to the car part. I thought that 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 whole scene was pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed playing trains automobiles. I thought I had a really good time with this movie. Um, tad long for what it was. Some scenes overstayed their welcome, but I don't have much to complain about here. I really, it's just a great holiday classic, and I would watch this probably annually now. I will watch this annually now. Abby's never seen it. I don't think so I'm going to get her to watch it. Yeah, not this play. year, but next year maybe. Should we move on then? I think so. I think we've. I, th- I think we did a better job at talking well, about that film than we have well, some of the others in the past. Would you like to uh, wax poetically about our next one? My captain, my captain, I sure would. Oh, God. Listen, um, Dead Poet Society is one of my all-time favorite movies, and it's directed by Peter Weir, who did The Truman Show, Master and Commander, uh, Witness, uh, The Way Back. Uh, anything else that I know? Like, two directors this this week of just a complete catalog of just great 
80, 90 movies. Um, yeah, Dead Poet Society was 1989. Yeah, anyway. Um, so let me first just start by saying pour one out for my man Robin Williams. Dude is amazing. Have you you've seen Goodwill Hunting, right? Yeah. Okay. I talked to a guy today who's seen this but hasn't seen Goodwill Hunting, which was just <sighs> upsetting. I so it's hard to watch this without thinking about Goodwill Hunting. They're very similar. They are but, very similar, but, but different. But, yes, different. I would say in this movie, Robert Williams is a secondary character. Like oh, is, I was going to bring that up. I was going to say he's a supporting actor in this yeah. film for sure. Was, he's in it, what, 30% of the film maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 40, 45, it don't, I mean, don't his, matter. His presence is looming, but as a whole, yes. yeah, Mr. Keating is fleeting. <laughs> yeah. That was that was a good little play on words there. Anyway, um, Dead Poets Society synopsis. Um, it's kind of like, have you ever seen The Skulls? I don't think I have. You should watch The Skulls. This movie is The Skulls, which is a Paul Walker film uh, about a prep school. Very similar to this. Okay. Meets Goodwill Hunting. It's like those two films merged and this is the, the film. Although I'm pretty sure this came before The Skulls. It did. Okay. I can tell you. Anyway. Um, all right. Sorry, I lost my train of thought because I was thinking about the Skulls release date and who else was starring in it with Paul Walker. Um, so this film follows Ethan Hawke. He's supposed to be your main guy, but he's really not. It's sh- uh, I mean, he is. Um, it's about a group, but we'll just do it as the group of boys. It's about uh, Todd Anderson, which is uh, Ethan Hawke, uh, Neil Perry, portrayed by Robert Sean Leonard. Uh, those are your main two guys. Uh, I would say Knox Overstreet played by Josh Charles would be the other yeah. one. Who's your, those are your main three. Then you have Robin Williams who plays John Keating, the professor. So this is a high school, like prep school. Um, and those three boys are like, their parents are like big wigs, big donors or former uh, alumni or had siblings who were alumni. And Ethan Hawke's character is uh, very shy and maybe has a reading issue he uh, just have social anxiety. Yeah, bad anxiety. Doesn't really fit in with the other guys, but is rooming with uh, Neil, who is uh, played by Robert Sean Leonard, and he immediately gets sucked into his friend group, which is which is good. They're all kind of like the popular kids, and they're all really really close to one another. So he has like a family out the gate, but he's very reluctant to really you know chime in and do anything with them, whether it be you know smoking weed or you know going to do what eventually turns into the Dead Poet Society, which is where I they go. I don't think they ever smoked weed. I don't think they just smoke cigarettes. Oh, I got the... I mean, yeah, when they first come in, it was... Sarah. I thought that vibe that they were smoking pot. No, I thought it was just cigarettes. I see, my, see, my mind went too far into the future. and I was too uh, perverse. <laughs> it may be just cigarettes. I don't know. But he didn't want to go to the Dead Poets Society later, which is where they went to this, like, underground... Not underground, but, like, this little cave. And they would read poetry uh, to one another, which is uh, super homoerotic, if you ask me. Anyway... Their professor, they have a new professor starting at the school that year, and it is Robin Williams, um, who is Professor Keating. Um, he's their new English teacher, and he has this affinity for poetry. Um, so in one of their first, cl- the first class, he has him like rip out the whole first preface of the chapter because he thinks that the author is uh, Pritchard, is a total prick and can't write and has taken like the love and the joy and the real language out of uh, poetry. So as the film goes on, um, all the guys grow really, all the boys in the school or in his class specifically go a real affinity for him for him and um 
really respect him, appreciate him, and develop a bond with him that is beyond just, and I don't mean this in a weird way, beyond just student-teacher, you know? Uh, like a real respect and admiration. Um, and he is encouraging them and motivating them to chase their dreams, regardless of what it may be. Uh, specifically, the Robert Shaw and Leonard's character, who, Neil, whose dad is like, a, you know, is wealthy and a big donor. Um, he doesn't want him to be in any place. He just wants him to focus on school, do good with his grades. And um, he gets, you know, he wants to be the editor of the school paper. He steps down from that at his dad's behest. And then he wants to be in this play, hides it for a while. And then Robin Williams, John Keating's character convinces him to, if I'm missing a key plot point, let me know. I feel like I'm missing the Dead Poet Society somewhere in there. Yes. Hence the name, but I can't remember the origin of how that got there. Besides he founded it back in the day with a group of friends. So let's backtrack because John Keating was brought in. He was a student of this school. Uh Um, So he has a history um, and he's super, um, just super very intellectual. Um, He resonates with his kids, but he's a little bit younger than all of them as well. Um, Than all the other teachers. And he just has this way of, like you said, connecting with them. Yep. And his whole theory, his whole philosophy is carpe diem. You are to seize the day. Yes. Um, which a bunch of youthful kids that are full of structure and everything, they, they're they like, heck yeah, they latch onto this. But they are pushed by the actual weight and the responsibility of this, this idea. And, um, you know, Keating likes to to push them past their comfort level instead of just, you know, like, like later on, like a lot of the, the adults in this movie, the responsible people that we are thinking were responsible, look at this as like Keating's being reckless and trying to encourage them, but he's trying to foster like free thinking for these kids that are put in a environment that is meant to cookie cutter, these kids out and like in some kind of factory to where they are, are set out in these paths that otherwise their parents have laid out for them. And that's where, um, you know, Neil Perry's, um, dad, um, Red. he, yeah, he, he actually, from that yeah, show he, he actually is, is one that is, is extra hard on him because he, he had to sacrifice a lot for him to have, for his kid to have these opportunities which is unlike ethan hawk's character whose brother and family all went there yeah, which brother we was don't, like which we don't get a lot of backstory, backstory. I know it's yeah. kind of frustrating uh to me that's one of the so i have this at four and a half stars that is one of my there it is <laughs> that is one of my omissions luna <laughs> you got situated now you're situated yeah i am i am situated we need some mic stands yeah we need a studio we do um, um Jonathan is now just laid completely ah, horizontal um, with a pillow um, propping up the mic yeah. so that he can, he can look up stuff. Um, but yeah, so the Dead Poets Society, though, was originally founded by Keating. And some buddies. Uh, and some buddies. After Neil did some research on uh, Keating in a, um, in a, in a book, in a whatever those are called your book yep. um they discover this and they confront keating like what was the dead poet society uh he tells them piss off and he no he tells them he was like in a very in a roundabout way he's like he t- he tells them you don't you you don't want to know it'll only basically he tells them it'll only lead them to trouble yeah um which is very it's very his way of saying it was very sketchy his way of his <laughs> way of explaining it was 
you know, it was that it was that viewers beware type of thing of like, you know, the people that are going to to want to or are going to totally disregard that. Um, And that's who it's intended for is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, I get that. And so Keating basically gives Neil this book that basically explains like he had a group of uh, Keating had a group of friends that they would get together and they were basically this club of free thinkers. Like they pushed the boundaries of, of norm of the norm. And uh, yes, they would read poetry, but it was meant to, you know, (sighs) cultivate creativity. Yep. And it did. And it did. And it continued to do so. Yeah. These boys. Yeah. Um, The boys, the brotherhood, the boys latched onto it. they, you know, little by little, different groups of them. Um, one of the boys, seven of them. Yeah, there's seven, seven of them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the boys we find out um, early on, he he meets a girl and immediately falls in love. And his whole story Knox. arc is yeah, Knox is no, not Knox Overstreet. It's uh, it was Knox. No, it wasn't. It was it was Dalton, Charlie Dalton. What? Yes. Did you watch this movie? It was Charlie Dalton. It was Overstreet was yes. Overstreet was Nuanda. What? Yes, girl. I watched this movie today. That wasn't the guy that had the girlfriend. Are you sure? I'm sure. Overstreet was Nuanda, and Charlie was (laughs) the one that. Um, you're probably. I watched it last night, but I'm. I was. The faces really got me. The faces got me too, but I'm I'm dead serious. Okay. Um Yeah, so Charlie falls in love with this girl and his whole story arc is him basically building up this courage to confess his love to her. Um and over and confronting the you know, the jerk boyfriend and all that stuff. Um uh uh-uh, I knew it. What? It Knox is the one with the girl. Him and Chris fell in love. It was Knox. They said Overstreet was expelled. Yeah, not he did get expelled. But his uh, Knox and Chris seemed to be dating and very much in love. That was the name of the girl, the blonde girl, Chris. Well, I'll be done. I, I, his face was throwing me. Yeah. I was like, I, because I agree with you. I kept thinking the name was wrong, but I, I kept seeing his face. I was like, no. Yeah. Um. So Charlie Dalton was. <laughs> the artist for, formerly known as Dalton was at Nuanda. Um, yes. he's, he's the, uh, he is the super outgoing, um, you know, he's he, kind of he, a leader yeah. in, a, in a way. Well, well, Neil, Neil's the de facto, like, right. Moral compass. Like he's the leader. Like he's the, the glue that yeah, keeps them he all together. He doesn't necessarily have to be the frontman. He's the glue guy. Which is important to always have a glue guy. And he's the one everybody's friends Charlie, with. Charlie, but no, Charlie though is like that. He's that character. He's that character in a story where, you know, he gets tired of of the old regime. Is like we got to yes. rise up, and this is how it's going to be. That's whenever he submits the story about the poets. Yes, in the in the um uh, in the uh the newspaper. Yeah. Um, which basically exposes their secret club mm-hmm. to the headmaster. Um, when Which, the head, when they have the meeting, ring ring, it's God. Yes. Yeah, so there's a a big class meeting, and 
um, when the headmaster is is basically saying we're going to find out who did this. A cell f- uh, a phone rings and Charlie stands up with it, basically takes the with calls. With a bell on his yes, finger, yeah. Basically saying uh, it's God calling. Um, and so he ends up getting you know In spanked trouble. for that. Yeah, yeah which real is good. absolutely crazy. Well, it's uh, twice we got to see spankings from men. Yeah. Um, Kills of a flower moon in this one. Yes. Uh, so yeah, there's those are the two big um, like storylines that you kind of follow. Um, yeah. The other two, three guys, they don't really matter. They're just kind of hanging around. Until um, Cameron rats, he's the first to rat on Keating later. Yeah. Um, but the Todd Neal relationship is mm-hmm. one that. So let's break them down a little bit because yeah. dynamics. So well, to finish the plot synopsis, you you know you you filled in the gaps of who how yeah. Keating is in the Dead Poet Society. So they really all the guys are meeting like nightly. They go through and hang out and read mm-hmm. poetry to each other, snack, smoke cigarettes or whatever they're smoking. Um, occasionally bring girls over there. You know, it's just a real. It's like a little fun little gang for them. You know, basically a poetry gang. Yeah, sweet sweet boys, right? Um. They're encouraging each other. Keating's encouraging Neil, Robert Sean Leonard's character, to pursue this play because his grades are still good. So he ends up doing this play and invites his dad. Um, all the guys go and con- you know in solidarity, go support their friend. Uh, his dad even shows up and then takes him and you know he kills the play. Does a great job. Everybody's proud of him. But his dad makes a big scene as an ass and you know takes him back home. Um, telling him that he's going to have to go to military school now. He's pulling him out. He's a disappointment that he should be lucky to have the opportunities that he didn't have as a kid. Talking about his dad, which is red from that 70s show. Um, well, one of the most effective suicides ever Yeah, on screen takes place. Um, he goes downstairs. He puts his crown, his symbolic crown down, which was great. Yes. That shot was great. Um, and then he uses his dad gun and shoots himself. Yeah. Um, mom and dad come down they you know find the body uh, dad's still so caught up in his freaking hubris and denial is you know blames Keating and, and cl- washes his he punches pilots the whole thing and washes his hands of it and um, mm-hmm. tries to find a scapegoat so he doesn't have to live with the guilt that you know he indirectly killed his son you know yeah Um. so they take the route of least resistance and they choose Robin Williams versus John Keating as the scapegoat and they start doing individuals with their like one-on-one interviews with the boys and their parents. Um, and our resident rat, Richard Cameron, <laughs> uh, played by Dylan Cussman, is the first rat. Um, he gets into a fist fight with Charlie. Um, and Charlie gets expelled uh, for it. Um, but all the other guys, you know, reluctantly sign the paperwork that Keating basically coerced them into doing the Dead Poet Society and everything that's bad that's happened to the schools because of Keating just so they keep their, you know, little prep school cards in check, right? Yeah. Um, Ethan Hawke's character, uh, Todd Anderson, was really torp about it, tried to fight it, didn't win, and then, um, you know, kind of fast forward to, fast, fast forwards uh, to the next day at class. All the guys are upstairs going through, uh, getting ready for a class to start, and the principal or the headmaster, whatever you call it at these high schools, comes in and wants them to open their pages to the first uh, preface of the book, which they all ripped out when Keating directed them to. And when, yeah, right as they're starting to do that, Keating comes in and uh, asks if he can get the rest of his belongings as he does. Uh, and he's about to walk back out to leave forever. Uh, Ethan Hawke's char- character stands up on his desk and says, My captain, my captain. And then one by one, domino effect happens um, because they're, you know, not only rallying for Keating, but 
for Neil as well. Yeah. Um, and it's a very touching ending uh, to a touching film, uh, heavy film, but really, really well done film. Um, and that's the plot in a brief synopsis. Um, it's really a tale of friendship and courage. Mm. Uh, like, you know, talking about Ethan Hawke, Todd Anderson, his brother's like some all-time favorite, you know, alumni, but his parents can't stand him or it's all analytical. They send him the same birthday gift two times in a row. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Neil Perry's character really helps, you know, Todd grasp, grapple with that. And, uh, you know, that's so when they send it flying off the bridge, which is a great scene. Love that scene. Um, but to me, what really scored this film, like, yeah, Robin Williams is great. And every time he's on screen, he commands the screen. I love his non-serious bits. But for me, it was the camaraderie and the cast and the chemistry between Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Gail Hansen, Josh, yeah, and Josh Charles specifically. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Meeks and uh, Richard Cameron were all fine and stuff like that. But yeah, they were uh, meant to be background characters. Yeah. Uh, but Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Gail Harrison, Josh Charles were all fantastic. They interacted great with Robin Williams. They interacted, interacted great amongst themselves. Uh, I thought each of them had a significant and worthy plot line to add to it. Yeah. You know, Todd Anderson, the reluctant one, um, but who start who ends up carrying the most weight at the end. Robert Sean Leonard switch switched roles, had had the most weight, killed himself. You know, Charlie Charlie mm-hmm. Dalton, the hot headed gun who loves everybody in the group, but you know, he's got to bulldoze his way through things, and then Josh Charles the lover. Sure. Then you have the Judas Iscariot who <laughs> ran everybody out. Um but yeah. To me, Robin Williams, yeah, he played such a backseat in this role, and I think that benefited the film in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and I've seen, I don't mean that as a slight, because it's some of my favorite films are full-length Robin Williams movies. But, um, yeah, I thought Robin Williams was definitely a supporting character, and I forgot watching, I watched this last year, and I already forgot how, in comparison, how little he's in this film to some of the others. Totally. I, I think even, even just just a few hours removed from watching it today. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that sticks out um, as far as the impact that Keating s- sought out to have from the beginning. Right. Um, his whole reason, because because whenever he's introduced to the school, he's basically introduced, you know, he's pride of the school, graduated, um, but had taught in London. Um, we at a actually, very prestigious school. Yeah, at a very prestigious school, but wanted to come back. Um, we don't get any backstory on a wife that he has in London or some some woman that right. he knows. We don't know if it's his wife, I guess. Probably Fisher King. Yeah. Uh, but my theory is that Keating, you know, had this realization of the life that he was living and basically wasn't happy with it. Right. Realized the source of it was this school um, and decided that he was going to go back and he was like, I'm I'm not going to let this, this, you know, it's like, I'm going to save these kids. Um, you know, overall he was, he was there to teach, but I think that was like, he's like, if I'm going to do something here, this is, this is going to be it. Um, and I think it's interesting that for each of the, of the boys that are impacted, um, there are different aspects to like when you talk about, um, you know, a societal like impact. I look at um, Charlie Dalton 
um, who is trying to stand up against, you know, the infrastructure, you know, against society, like speak out, like you could be a rebel, but at what cost? And Keaton is, is really trying to temper that to where you can, you can cause chaos um, but to what did. to what good? Yeah, he's like you got to know when to have restraint. Um, you know, uh, Knox's character, like he he opens up this door of you know mask like like you can be masculine but still sensitive. You can right. express your feelings in a way because his girl, the girl that he had a crush on, was in a relationship with like the jockiest of jocks. Yeah, and he had to like really, really, honestly, probably in a creepy way. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah. Today's standards break her down, and she came around. Um, but he really had to. But that's with the inspiration of like you know, of of Keating, uh, Neil. I think Keating, you know, Neil is the one that Keating's planted the seed of the Dead Poet Societies, and you would say right. that, you know, Neil is the avatar for for Keating's life. Um, I, th- I think he, he saw the most of himself in him Agreed. Um, and wanted to wanted to save him. Um, Neil is all these kids are, are in these positions because their parents thought saw it best yep, for them. Status, but Neil, most of all, falls under the pressures of not living his own life um, and Keating, you know, it, it, it's, it's trying to help him. um realize what he wants and and live it out um right and then todd it's just like he doesn't stand up for anything like he's just this you know wallflower um who blends into the background of this whole group but you know when it comes down to it at the end um finds his voice and and stands up for in his eye in his mind what, what is right yeah todd's a bitch um because in the in the beginning of the story like if we knew nothing about how these guys grow and develop when they're put in this situation of, um, you know, exposing the, the club, like we would have thought Todd would have been the one in the dark because he's so, <laughs> he's so skittish to join. Like he wants to stay home. Like he's just so aloof to, to all this stuff. Yeah. Um, it just shows how the loyalty they has and being loyal is one thing, but being able to stand up on, uh, stand up for that loyalty yeah, is another. That's one thing I appreciated about, I don't know if Peter Weir wrote this as well. Do you know? Writer. He did not, I don't think. Let's see. I thought this was based off a book. I could be wrong though. Let's see. Directing, directing. Doesn't look like it. Sean or Tom Schulman. That name sounds familiar. Anyway. Um well, dang it. I looked up the direction. I don't remember what I was gonna say about him. Um uh, well, dang it. Well, there goes my point. Whatever point I was about to make about Peter Weir's directing here now, I've forgotten. Um, but no, you made a lot of good points. And I, the one thing I wish that I could have got more of was some more Robin Williams because I thought he was great and excelled and brought a lot out of the young kids. Yeah. Uh, in, in the film, I thought his performance was about as damn near flawless as it could be. Um, also got to give massive credit to Robert Sean Leonard. I thought his performance was right there with... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robin Williams, um, especially as it continued to down, down, downward slide. You know, he he deflected and tried to be everything yeah. he could for his friends, but he had that weight of his parents exactly on him the whole yeah. time. Um, 
and like I said, his suicide was one of the most off-screen effective suicides I've seen. It watching it even for a second, third time, it still hits my gut. You know, you know what's going to happen the moment you know he's he's brought home from the play, and his dad basically tells him like, "You're done. You're going here. You're going to live this life." And and you see almost the glass shatter mm-hmm. in his in his mind, and yep. he just goes completely deadpan and. He's like, you just kind of know what's going to happen next. And yeah, it's, it yeah, is it, depressing. It sets it up like it's going to happen. Then you just don't think it's going to. But the moment he put that crown in the window, it's like, dang, what a beautiful shot, but goodbye. You and know? I wish I knew, because I would almost, I would guarantee the play, the themes of the play. Mirror what happened. The character that he played. Like there, there's obvious symbolism there. Um, satanic i just don't know i just don't know enough about the the story to to pull from it but yeah the laying of the crown i think is is one his whole monologue at the at the end of the play too um basically telling to his dad um all these things um it it yeah it it was basically set in stone then so yeah yeah it, it was it was great i mean not not to say that a suicide was great but it was well None of that sounds good. The impact, the impact, the weight the of it. Um, they didn't it, sit with it long enough. I don't think for the family. Sure, it was fine, but the, they the, didn't need to. They they make you believe that oh he he just ran away and then you see the smoke and I think at well, this no, no, point no, no, the in family time, I thought the family was good to sit with. I thought I thought oh, are that you was talking adequate. about like the grief like in yeah, the situation sort of the friends the family yes, the school I, I thought understand. that was so rushed at the end after everything else in the film hadn't been. I would have thought there would have been a funeral. Yeah, something away. Yeah, something. Nothing. Well, like, whenever oh. they cut to them in yeah, the well, assembly, I thought that was I thought that was a funeral. Well, yeah, right after, literally right after, um, like it was a harsh transition. The mom sitting there crying, mm-hmm. "My boy, my boy, my boy, he's fine, he's all right, he's all right. Wake up, wake and up." Then Todd's and then, getting then woken Todd's up. getting woken up that he died. And that's really your only impact the boys have besides, you know, carrying on the honor and standing up for Mister Keating. Yeah, well, the, I guess the by the time Keating is is leaving and they do the oh captain my captain that's like the second day or the day after the suicide possibly yeah yeah, yeah. so makes it, it, it makes it sense does. it's just it, it felt like more I time had to passed. do some mental gymnastics to do it because they had the whole day of interviews with the kids like yeah. do they do that all in one day how they get their parents there because yeah. they ship them off like i don't know that that that's there's there's little things like that to keep the film a four and a half star for me i got the feeling that these parents live in this town though like this isn't like this a isn't cent- like a send your kids off i don't prep think school. so See, i thought this was like some prep school thing i did too but just knowing those facts kind of kind of uh made me think um uh, opposite hmm. uh, what what do you think of robin williams i know he's not in it a ton but as a whole what do you think of his performance in this film it, it made the most sense especially like i loved his moments where um i mean his teaching sequences are great but whenever he um does the impressions and all that Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is, this is stand up. Like this is Robin Williams, like in a nutshell, but then you peel back the layers and, um, whenever he's talking to the boys alone, like, oh, he's acting, acting yeah. with them. So it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Like I love the scene when Ethan Hawke's character is up there and he's trying to get him to do the poetry and he can't, he gets him to close his eyes and keeps him going. Yeah, like that's, there, there, there's a whole thing on that. Apparently a lot of that was improv on yeah. Robin Williams and just kept him going him and Ethan Hawke together, which wow. is just. Robin Williams, they said he was an actor's actor and like was Absolutely. fantastic to work with. And it's just, he's just got such a love. And it's, I mean, he killed himself. He's just got such a love and a fervor in him in any film 
I've ever seen him in really. Yeah. That he just loved to be a part of it no matter what it was. And like this and Goodwill Hunting are two of my two of my favorite Robin Williams films. Yeah. So uh was so this was your first Dead Poet Society? <laughs> it was. Um needless to say, I I knew this would be a, a sad one. I don't mm-hmm. do sad. Um it's it's not sad. It's got sad. It's just it's just a drama. It can sneak up on you. It's weighty. I don't care for weighty sometimes. Hmm. Um, oh boy, well, uh, we already Robin Williams. He's got some weighties. I know, man. I know. No, Good so, Hunting is waiting. Is a, or is weighty, and then Awakenings with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams is weighty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Patch Adams is freaking even weighty. <laughs> Death just moochie's not weighty. Okay. <laughs> Flubber isn't weighty. Yeah. What dreams may come. Very weighty, but very trippy. What movie? What dreams may come. Wet dreams may come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not what you said. What dreams, what dreams may, may come. <laughs> what dreams. Not wet dreams. <laughs> wet dreams may come. Uh anyway. Um, yeah, I don't. Deadpool Study is fantastic. It's, I've watched it, uh, three times in the last three years. Once a year, I'm averaging no. watching that. Um, Robin Williams, I did a couple years ago, I started to do a Robin Williams watch through his filmography, I made it about eight deep, 10 deep. Yeah. And, um, dude's phenomenal. And this movie was the, this one, Awakenings and Goodwill Hunting are like one of my, the, my favorite trifecta of his. Uh, and The Fisher King now is right up there with it. Um, The Fisher King, God. What a good movie. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Deadpool Society is great. I recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's a classic. Uh, it's a classic for a reason. Uh, the performances, the script, the direction, the editing, everything about this film absolutely holds up and test, beats the test of time. It's a classic classic, not like a cult classic. I mean, I don't even think it's considered a cult. It's just a classic. Yeah. So yeah, I had a, I had a great time with this film. So, um, you know, just a closing thought. Uh, Obviously, Robin Williams for me is one of the most significant actors that have passed that, you know, I've I've felt the weight of because uh, when I go back and watch his films, I'm like, man, there's just something about him that I think modern cinema is missing or that I miss watching films from. Um, Robin Williams is definitely one of those. Another actor I really miss. And it's not because he's on the same level, but is uh, Paul Walker, because um, most of the movies that he did were yeah. my like. Yeah, they were B tier, but they were B tier with some substance like Running Scared and Into the Blue and uh, Pawn Star or not Pawn Star, Pawn Shop and um, the Lazarus Project. Like the things that Paul Walker did were B tier, but but really good. Sure. Uh, but Robin Williams and um, to me, Paul Walker. Yeah, I, the ones I, miss. I honestly, I honestly don't think of many actors in that aspect because Mm. a lot of them most of them have passed an unexpected time you know um i think about recently we had um oh shoot um why this is why it's too late to do podcasts this time because i can't remember anything um ray liotta oh yeah um you know, Famous like from cocaine bear, like that's something like that is a, a death joke. that is sad in the moment, but you're not surprised. James Conn recently had passed as well. One of these days, um, you know, Clint Eastwood's gonna pass. And One of maybe not. Surprised. He's gonna outlive us all. 
um, or Liam Neeson. Like, yeah, like these are actors that times will come. But when I think about a Robin Williams and like this, how he passed, it yep. brings a whole nother layer yep. to his his performances just knowing what he struggled with yeah, for those of you who didn't know he killed himself depression anxiety yeah um and you just look back at like fisher king especially mm-hmm. that movie to me was capsulated a lot um as far as probably who he was as a person i'm not saying that that is a representation of of what he struggled with but right. um you know he's tapping into something that's raw and real well, to him. And that's what I, watching this film, The Poet Society, you know, knowing how Robin Williams died and then watching the suicide doubly was like, dang. Yeah. Added an extra bit of weight and peef to it. But yeah. No, yeah, I really enjoyed this week. It was a nice little refresh before we take a break watching Planes, Trains, Automobiles and um, Dead Poet Society that both felt, I mean, one was straight up Thanksgiving, this Dead Poet Society, I know you hadn't seen it. Did, did you get the fall vibes from it? De- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it kind of no, felt, it, it, it this movie thing. felt like I was watching like Harry Potter. Yeah, so it gave you the like, vibes for that Thanksgiving. whole boarding school. Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay, good. Um, yeah, but any other closing thoughts? No, I'm uh, I'm I'm very thankful. It's Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm so is. thankful. Where are you going to Gatlinburg? Where Gatlinburg? I don't know. Just Gatlinburg. Yeah, we're gonna go downtown Gatlinburg. Yeah, we got like a little little condo nice place um and then uh yeah we're gonna be gone for two days basically mm-hmm. and then we gotta spend a day in nashville caitlin's gonna be tracking some vocals for her ep that's very exciting yeah did yeah, she tell saying, you i texted her uh not this sunday last Violet. sunday yeah yeah it came on or uh because we said did you hear uh caitlin and jp in church just listen caitlin listen to caitlin i was like we don't have actually we do we do so I went to my Spotify and I had I searched her and put it, you know, on and then on repeat. And then this last hundred, Kaylin Thorns, Thorns, Thorns. Yeah. So Violet needs some new ammunition. Yeah. So shameless Caitlin plug for yeah. uh her her current single Thorns and more more to come. Yeah. Um, you can also be looking out for her OnlyFans handle here soon. I'll let you Absolutely guys know not. this. Absolutely so, not. Uh this has been another nope. episode of uh mostly film. Your one-stop chaotic shop for all things in the world of cinema. We'll be taking a break this next week, but then we'll be back the week after that, and uh, we'll have a big batch of Christmas movies. We'll be ready to discuss and start breaking down. Uh, we'll get, we'll figure out what those movies are beforehand. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm one of your hosts, John Quarter, and my beautiful co-host, JP Payton. See you guys. See you guys.